0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Well, you'll notice in the bulletin that my name is not there for the preaching of the word. Carl the Provost is is going to be preaching this morning on Luke 16, 19 to 31. Carl and Lynn and their two daughters have been. Uh, in and out over the past months, and so some of you know him, some of you may not, but um, the session has asked Carl uh, to bring the preaching of the word this morning. Carl's an ordained elder in the uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church denomination currently, and uh, and so we look uh, with anticipation to the Lord blessing us through your, your preaching, brother. Come on up.
1: Please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Luke 16, and please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now there was a rich man, and he was habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels of Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in the flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now being comforted here, and you are in agony... And besides all this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the word that you've given us, that your word is rich in wisdom and mercy. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come into this place, would take these words and apply them to our heart, Father. We pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to this text today and recognizing that God's word is living and breathing and sharper than any two edged sword, that even though this parable, as we will see, was spoken to a particular audience and group at Jesus' time of giving it. We also recognize that the universal application of God's word and how it applies to us. You know, we live in a time where things are in much turmoil. In fact, we live in what's considered one of the wealthiest nations in the world, a nation that is envied by many, Many immigrants come here looking for a better way of life. Opportunities that they don't have in their own nation. And they come here. And because of the great wealth here. And if you know much about the history of this nation, you know that not all but much of the wealth was built because this nation was based upon biblical principles. And biblical principles of economy have been used by many to build wealth. And it's created opportunities not just for the rich, but for those who are willing to trust in God and work hard, and provide for themselves. But things are changing in this nation, and they're not only changing in this nation, they're changing in the church. As many forget these principles of wealth, that God blesses those who trust in Him. In fact, the the church in America is the richest church in the world also. But those times are changing as well. The average American Christian tithes 2.5% of his income. And they say 25% give nothing at all. But even with these numbers of only 2, 5, 2.5% of 75% of the church, the church brings in $100 billion a year in America. It's shameful when you find out how much of this is lost to embezzlement and fraud within the church. And then oftentimes what is left is spent on exorbitant salaries and buildings. In fact, if you talk to Christians in America, you will find that we are quickly becoming very self-centered and entitled. This is oftentimes displayed in the type of worship that we desire. Oftentimes those seeking to be entertained, or to have great productions every Sunday. We've turned our focus away from God and his worship. We've turned our focus away from what he has required us and asked us to do, and we've turned it to what is self-pleasing to us. See, the problem with great wealth is there's a great responsibility that comes with it and it can also be a great stumbling block. And it has been a great stumbling block for many. See, the wealth itself is not the problem. It is the handling of the wealth that has become the problem. And as we look around us and we see the turmoil and we hear a lot of people talking about the economy and even the impact that this lockdown is gonna have on the economy and how that's gonna affect the the next elections, it oftentimes seems like we're more concerned about the wealth of this nation than the moral of this nation. We're more concerned about the wealth of this nation than the hearts of the people. And we need to see people and their hearts turn back to Christ and turned away from their own desires and their own wants and turn towards their brother and their neighbor and loving one another. Well, in the parable that we find ourselves looking at today, Jesus is speaking to a similar issue, a similar problem. He's speaking to a group and directly confronting them that loves money and that has neglected the needs around them and the people, the needs around them. These are people in leadership positions with money who have positions to make a difference, positions to reach out and love their neighbor. But they haven't done that. And so as we look at this parable today and what Jesus is teaching, I want us to notice a few things about this. And the first thing I want us to notice is that you, we as Americans, have more in common with the rich man than with Lazarus. See, the rich man was the religious of the day. In order to understand this in the context of this, I think we need to back up to verses 13 and 14. And after Jesus was teaching on an unrighteous steward, in verse 13 it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You you cannot serve God and wealth. It says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him so the pharisees were scoffing at jesus over this teaching that you cannot serve both wealth and god because see the pharisees were the religious of the day the pharisees were those that were considered the most righteous In fact, when Jesus told the disciples that unless your faith exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, there is no way to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they were greatly disturbed by this because from their perspective, the Pharisees were the ones that were most adherent to the law of God. But Jesus, his harshest words in the New Testament are to this group, the most righteous of the day. He called them whitewashed tombs because he recognized that outwardly they appeared righteous. Outwardly they desired the approval of other men. But inwardly they were selfish. Inwardly they were trusting in their wealth and their status more than they were trusting in God and his word. And Jesus is concerned about the condition of the heart. Not our outward condition. You know, we have another parable that talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee stood in the temple thus praying to himself, Thank you for not making me like these other men. And he gives a list of sins. And there we notice that his prayers were thus unto himself, But the tax collector could do nothing but beat his breast and say, Have mercy upon me, a sinner. It's about the condition of the heart. See, this is not an indictment against just having money. When we read this text, nowhere in here do we see that the rich man is condemned because he had purple robes and fine linen and undergarments, nor because he lived in abundance. We are not told that he obtained his wealth in an unethical manner. He is not vicious or cruel, that we are told. In fact, we would assume that since it was his estate that he had to consent to the beggar being at his gate and probably was aware that the servants were taking the crumbs from his table to Lazarus. He was essentially living a selfish and worldly life. See, this is a warning about being self-centered, self-righteous, and trusting in wealth rather than God. See, we as Christians in America need to take heed to this warning. We have become very comfortable with our wealth. In fact, most of us do not realize how wealthy we are. When you talk to the younger generation, those who have never really experienced real need, those who have not gone hungry for days or weeks, as we see in other parts of the world, we oftentimes take wealth for granted. In fact, what we see with many young people today is they feel like they should, they should be able to obtain wealth without working for it. They want the latest gadget. They want what everybody else has. There's a jealousy and an envy for those that have more than them. And we see many turning away from biblical principles of wealth and turning to the godless principles of socialism, recognizing that those that have more should be forced to give those things to the poor oftentimes out of complete ignorance and not understanding what is truly behind this. We would like to believe that this is outside the church and this is just the godless outside the church, but this is just as much in the church today and this entitlement mentality here in America as it is in the world. See, many of us sitting here today need to take heed to this warning We have put the affections of our heart on the things of this world and not on the things of God. When we go to vote, we oftentimes vote for fiscal reasons rather than moral reasons. We order our lives around building wealth so that we can retire to a life of luxury and self-indulgence. Oftentimes our entire life is shaped by being prepared for retirement in our later years when we can enjoy life. See, if I am the rich man of this story, then what does that mean for me? Let us see the fate of this rich man. Look back at the text. It said, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And the poor man, lame Lazarus, was laid at his gate and covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling at the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angel to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things, but now he being comforted here, are you in agony And besides all this between us and you, there is this great chasm fixed so that those who come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. See what we learn from this passage is when you trust in the riches of this world it leads to eternal torment. This makes me think of another passage when we when we think of the difficulty and the stumbling block that wealth can be for even those who have a desire for the things of God. In Luke 18 we read of the rich young ruler. You remember the story of the rich young ruler he came and he asked Jesus what must I do to be saved? And Jesus told him to keep the law and the commandments and to honor his father and his mother. And the rich young ruler said, all of these things have I done since my youth. And Jesus, knowing the rich man's heart, said, well, then do this one thing. Give all of your wealth to the poor and come and follow me. And we're told that the rich man Because he was very wealthy, left, and he was very sad. Because he was not able to turn from his riches. And Jesus said how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That it would be easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And so we can see that wealth is a huge stumbling block for many. And that even one who desired to follow Jesus was not able to let go of the one thing that was hindering him. So what does trusting in earthly riches get you? You know, we get a sort of an opening up of heaven and hell here. An image of things that take place in the intermediate state. We learn from our text that those who trust in earthly riches and comforts will spend eternity in torment. We learn from this parable that both the righteous and the unrighteous immediately go to an intermediate state after death. We are told that the angels came and carried Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. We don't Really know what that term means, other than it's the comfort—the comfort of Abraham, his father. And what's interesting about this is the rich man who would have been trusting in his lineage of Abraham found himself in the place of torment. Now he's buried. We don't see that there's even a burial for Lazarus, but they immediately go to the intermediate state after death. We learned that there's a consciousness. For the rich man was aware of where he was at. He was aware of the torment. He was aware of the life that he had lived. And he was aware of Lazarus. The one who he had walked past so many times. Lying at the gate. With sores. We learn that it's permanent. And that there is no mercy. He's asking for mercy from Abraham. And he was told that the good... You trusted in the things of this world and you got your good while you were living. But once we pass into death, there is no more mercy for the unrighteous. We learned that there is one place for comfort and blessing and another place of torment and fire. We learned there's no leaving it. There's no crossing over. There are some today that would like to teach that there is a second chance in hell, but nowhere do we find that in God's word. We learn that a worldly, selfish life leads to eternal punishment. But we learn that those who trust in Christ will go to be with him and are comforted. We see there in this passage that Lazarus was carried to the bosom of Abraham See, if we trust in the riches of this world, that is all that we will receive in this world. And it leads to destruction. It's interesting, this parable is a parable of trading places. See, the rich man had all that he thought he could have. He was living in splendor. He was wearing the finest clothing. And he thought that his connection of being a son of Abraham was enough. But Lazarus was poor, he was probably a cripple, and he was laid, had, probably had to be carried to the gate so that he could just receive the crumbs from this rich man's table. We're, showed, we're, we're, we're never told that he received any compassion from the rich man, but the only compassion he received were the dogs licking his sores, whether these were wild dogs or dogs of the estate. An animal that would have been considered unclean by the Pharisees was the only comfort that he received in this parable that we have here. He had no sympathy and care from the rich man. But even though Lazarus had nothing in his world, Lazarus is attended to by the angels and carried to Abraham's bosom. We are told that in this world he had great suffering, but yet we see that his faith was not lacking. And as we read in Job earlier, and as you've been hearing for the past weeks, that there is oftentimes a suffering in this world that can't be explained. But yet, his faith was unwavering. He knew that his hope was not in this world, but his hope was in Christ Jesus, his Savior. No one lifted him and cared for his sores. So, how should the rich man have been cared for? We get an example of this in another parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as we think about this parable, remember the the parable where there's a man that's attacked by robbers and he's beaten and left and stripped of his clothes and left half dead. And we're told that a priest comes along and sees him and crosses over to the other side. He goes on by. And we're told that a Levite sees him and crosses over to the other side and leaves him on the road. But we're told that the Samaritan, another one that the Pharisees would have seen as unclean half-breeds, despised by Israel. But the Samaritan attends to the man's wounds, loads him on his animal and carries him to an inn and cares for him. And leaves money with the innkeeper to care for him and offers to pay any additional money that needs to be paid to take care of this person. We see a compassion from the Samaritan for the one who was laying on the side of the road beaten and left half dead. So what do we do if we find ourselves as one of these who has put our trust in the wealth of this world You know, we have another parable that I think of when we come to the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son wanted to serve his flesh. He wanted to serve his own desires. He asked for his inheritance early. And he took his wealth and he squandered it on self-indulgence until he found himself eating at a pigsty with no hope. And he remembered his father's house. He remembered that even the servants there were well cared for. And he devised a plan to go back to his father's house and ask to be a servant. And what he found when he went back was his father ran out to meet him. He killed the fatted calf and he blessed him abundantly. See, we can always turn from wealth and turn to God. It's time to turn back to the Father. And rather than building wealth in this world, to build riches in the kingdom of God. See, we are told in Matthew's gospel that we are to build treasures in heaven. It says, Matthew 16, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. That's the key there. Where is your heart? See, it's not sinful to have wealth. But where is your heart? When your heart is about building the kingdom, the wealth of this world becomes a great tool to be used for the kingdom. In fact, the parable that precedes the one we're preaching here today talks about the wealth of the unrighteous and how it can be used for the kingdom of God here on this earth. But our hearts must be in the right place. See, Jesus teaches us that treasures on earth are temporal and often lead to destruction. We are to be building treasures in heaven where they are eternal. So if we, want to, if we don't want to be like the rich man, if we don't want to have the same fate of the rich man, if we don't want to go to hell, what do we do? We need to be building treasure in heaven I want to look at the the last thing I want us to see in this passage is that we need to start building riches for the kingdom of heaven. In verse 29 it said, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead." Okay, so where do I get building treasures in heaven from that? See, we build treasures in heaven by doing the will of our Savior, Christ Jesus, by obeying the commands that he's given us. See, we are told that the law and the prophets are enough. The rich man was asking that someone go speak to his brothers. But God's word is enough. And when it says that Moses and the prophets are speaking of the Old Testament, the, the, the gospel is in the Old Testament. And graciously we've been given the New Testament which opens up the Old Testament even to us who are on the other side of the cross. But the same gospel that's available to us, was available to those in Jesus' ministry. And we recognize that there's grace in the law and the prophets. Jesus is teaching us that the scriptures are enough for one to believe. See, the rich man is implying that he wasn't given enough information while he was living on this earth. If only he would have known, if only Abraham would send Lazarus to his brothers. But see, this is the same group that saw Jesus heal people, saw Jesus restore a man's arm that was withered, and and all they could talk about was him healing on the Sabbath. All they could think about was devising ways that they could destroy him. This is the same Jesus who called another Lazarus to rise from the dead and to come out of the tomb and to live again, but yet they did not believe. See, they saw him perform miracles, but the, instead they plotted against him. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, but they still sought to crucify him. Jesus, when he was given this parable, knew that he also would be crucified by this same group that he was speaking to, and that he would be raised again on the third day, and they still would not believe. See, the, the word of God is our source of riches. If we have the word of God and we live according to this word that he's given us, we are the most blessed of people. God will provide for us and our needs. See, Jesus said that he would go and prepare a place for us. And if we keep, his, if we keep the words of Christ... We're told that the Father will love us and make his abode with us. We see that in John 14. In Romans 8, we're told that we are joint heirs with Christ. With Christ Jesus being the firstborn. The first to be raised again. And that our hope is that we also, as sons and daughters of God, as brothers and sisters of Jesus, will be raised again just as he was raised See, we have been adopted into a royal household. We are heirs with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So how do we build treasures in heaven? By adhering to the law of God. We are told that the law and the prophets are summed up in loving the Lord God with all your heart, strength, and mind. And loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's how you build Treasure in the kingdom of God. That's how you build treasures in heaven. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. See, if we have the love of Christ in us, it is impossible to walk past a Lazarus and not have compassion. The love of Christ in us wells up love for the weak and the needy. We want to lift them up. We want to care for them just as the Samaritan cared. We want to give them the word of God. We want to see them have new hearts and a new hope that's beyond the suffering of this world. See, we have the Holy Spirit in us. If we are believers in Christ Jesus, we are told that he must depart so that he could send a helper. And that helper resides in us. And we are told that we take on the mind of Christ and that we are able to love the unlovely. And see, we can look out in this world and we can see a lot that we would call the unlovely, but we have to recognize that we are the unlovely. And that Christ died for us, took the wrath of God, reserved for us upon himself on the cross so that we could be atoned for. He took the wrath of God for us and made us who are the unlovely. And covered us in the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of his son. That righteousness of that perfect life lived by Christ Jesus, imputed for us and placed on our account. If you have Christ Jesus, you are rich. See, the true rich man in this story is not the rich man, it is Lazarus. It's a different perspective. It's an eternal perspective. It's a perspective that understands that our hope is in Christ Jesus, not in the things of this world. And if we are going to invest in this world, we need to recognize that we must invest in people, not in stuff. We have enough stuff in this world. We have enough stuff in this nation. We need to invest in people. See, now that we understand that trusting and earthly wealth leads to destruction, and that we must be about building treasures in heaven. What are we going to do? I want us to understand that, that we are the rich man if we have Christ Jesus, and that we need to turn from trusting in wealth in this world and the comforts of this world and to trust in the finished work of Christ. We are to live lives that build up treasures in heaven rather than on earth where moths eat and thieves steal. Remember the rich young ruler who sorrowfully departed because he couldn't give up his wealth. But see, there's also examples of those who were very rich that were used for God. Abraham was very rich, but Abraham was willing to leave all and to go to where God had sent him. He was well, he was even tested and was willing to give his own son, his only son. But yet, he was blessed abundantly in this world. And another rich man we read about was Joseph of Arimathea. See, this is the Joseph that we are told about. That he was a rich man, but yet he was a disciple of Christ in Matthew 27. Luke records that he was actually on the council that was seeking to destroy Jesus. The one who sought for him to be crucified, but he did not consent to the deed. We are told that he boldly went to Pilate and asked to take Jesus' body down from the cross so that he might be given a proper burial. See, he was willing to risk all of his wealth. He was willing to risk his status among the other Pharisees. He was willing to risk the ridicule of those around him. He was willing to risk persecution from the government that crucified Christ to bury his Lord. See, when Jesus spoke this parable to the Pharisees and to the council, he knew that he would be despised and rejected by them. He knew that they would intend to leave his body on the cross without burial, like Lazarus. But one of their very own, who believed in Jesus, came forward and buried him. Where is your heart? Do you trust in the word of God? Or do you trust in your own wealth and your comfort in this nation, in this world? It says, we are told that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus, in speaking to those who trusted in Christ and his righteousness, said, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did you see when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the, these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. True wealth. True wealth is having hearts where Christ Jesus resides and investing in people that are the least of his. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you, Father, for this word that you've given us. And Father, that it is a warning to the Pharisees, but it's a warning that we also take heed of, Father, knowing that you have blessed the church in America abundantly. You have blessed each of us sitting here abundantly And that we have in excess, oftentimes more than we need, but, Father, we pray that you would use our wealth for your kingdom and that we would trust in the righteousness of Christ rather than the wealth of this world. We pray, Father, in the name of our precious Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.